You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. What's up, Christ Walk? How's everybody doing this morning? It is so, so good to see all of you. So good to be in the house of the Lord. So awesome just to be able to worship with everybody. I'm excited about today. We are in part five of a series that we've called Not Feeling It, uh, where we've been talking about how we can handle those seasons of life where it seems like God is nowhere to be found. And we've been taking a look at what are the reasons for those seasons? What should our response be in the midst of those seasons? And what does the Bible have to say about it all? All the way back in part one of our series, we looked at Psalm 88, uh, and we talked about four truths that you and I need to remember when life just stinks. And we learned that even when we can't feel God, God is faithful, and so we can remain faithful as a result. Then in part two, we looked at John chapter six, and we talked about the reason and also the requirement for following Jesus, that it may not always be easy to follow Jesus, but it is always worth it. The next week in part three, we looked at Romans chapter seven, and we talked about three relationships that we need to lean into in the midst of a not feeling it season. We need to lean into our relationship with the word of God. We need to lean into our relationship with the spirit of God, and we need to lean into our relationship with the people of God. And then last week in part four, We looked at Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 3. We talked about four things that we need to replace our religion and our reputation with, and that no matter what life brings our way, we just keep swimming. And so if you miss one of those messages or you want to go back and, and rewatch, re-listen, you can catch those on our YouTube channel or on our podcast. And I would highly encourage you to do that. But for today's installment in part five of our series, we are going to be in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. Um, so if you've got a traditional Bible like this, you can just open it up to probably the middle um, and you'll, you'll be right there in Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 24 or if you've got a smart device, Open up the Bible app and swipe with me, Psalm 24. We're going to land there in just a moment. Um, It's been a few weeks ago, but uh, Sarah and I, we um, we were were out one day and we had to run by um, Walmart to pick up some groceries or something. I can't remember exactly what we were going to get on this occasion, but we had parked a little ways away. And and as we were as we were walking up, do you ever get that that sensation that like there's something kind of hovering over your head and then all that you see a shadow or something and you kind of duck out of the way you know because you think you're getting ready to get hit well that's kind of what happened as we were approaching the front door I saw this shadow and it felt like something was over top of me and and I I saw some movement I kind of ducked out of the way and, and I discovered that it was a seagull and a seagull was dive bombing into a a grocery uh, buggy, or um, if you're not from the South, a cart um, that was that was kind of parked off. It wasn't put in the corral. It was just kind of left. Um, and then I noticed that it wasn't just one seagull. In fact, there was a whole flock of seagulls. And I thought, man, what a great band name that would be. Um, and uh, so, 
yeah, I'm thinking about starting a garage band, if anybody. Um, and I, but I, they're just like swirling and swarming, and it was like out of control. And then we got close enough that I could see what was happening, and someone had left um, what appeared to be an entire meal from Whataburger in in this in this buggy and and I saw two two seagulls and they were literally fighting over a cheeseburger and were like ripping it apart and it was like a scene out of finding Nemo you know mine 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 I mean they were like all over the place and I know what you're thinking right now like pastor Blake that's two finding Nemo references in consecutive weeks I'm a children's pastor at heart what can I say but but as I, as I watched this unfold and saw French fries and, and, and hamburger buns flying around the Walmart parking lot, I, I thought to myself, I was like, this is, you know, this is representative of the human condition. What these seagulls, the behavior, the attitudes that they are displaying, that they're all trying to get in there and get a piece for themselves, this is, it's, it's representative of the human condition. I mean, have you ever seen anybody on Black Friday wrestle over a flat screen TV or a Tickle Me Elmo? Anybody? Can I get a witness in the house? <laughs> by our very nature, the sinful nature that we are born into, by our nature, we are takers, it started all the way back at the beginning of time. Uh, Lucifer, he wanted to take the throne of God. Isaiah 14 tells us about this in verses 12 through 14. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star. That is a reference to Lucifer, whose name means shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. There's a whole lot of I, I, I in that. And that, that is the, that's the mindset, that's the attitude, that's the thing that's been passed on to us because of our sin nature that Lucifer said, you know what, I'm just as good, I'm better, I deserve a throne that is higher, that is greater, that is more lofty than God. And so he tried to take what was not his, he tried to take it for himself. And then when he got cast down in, onto the, the earth, he got cast down out of heaven, what happened is eventually he, he decided to deceive Adam and Eve for them to take something that didn't belong to them as well. In Genesis chapter three, verse six, it says the woman, speaking of Eve, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree, this is speaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She saw that the tree was beautiful, that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. The very first sin resulted in us taking something that did not belong to us. God said, you can eat of anything. You can have anything in this entire garden of Eden except for the fruit from this tree. And so just like the devil, just like Lucifer, he started out by wanting to take something that didn't belong to him and he got cast out of heaven. He thought, if I'm going down, I'm gonna take as many people down with me as I possibly can. So he convinced us, he convinced humans to take things that did not belong 
to us, things that God had not given to us. And we've talked about this before, this Genesis 3, 6 passage, that the result of this taking was the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that those are the tactics that the enemy uses against us to cause us to sin, that the way that he's been doing it all the way since Eden is the way that he is still doing it now. The lust of the flesh, which is our desire for money, the lust of the eyes, which is our desire for sex, and the pride of life, which is our desire for power, money, sex, and power. It's at the root of everything that you and I struggle with, the sins that we, that we get into the rut and the cycle of that we can't get out of. At the, at the very core of all of that is our thirst, our quest, our desire for money, for sex, and for power. And as I mentioned, the devil, he is a taker. And he takes from us by convincing us that we get something in return. But the only thing that we get, the only thing that we gain whenever we fall for his tricks is, is a pathway that leads to death and destruction. Jesus talked about this in chapter 10 of the book of John in the New Testament in verse 10. He says, a thief, talking about the devil, a thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But he said, I came to give life in all its fullness. And I can't help but wonder today as we're talking uh, about all of these, these seasons that we walk through where, where it feels like God is nowhere to be found, that, that we, we, we're, we're struggling to find ourselves in the presence of God, that we're just not feeling it. We're not feeling this walk with Christ. We're not feeling this relationship with Jesus. I'm not feeling like reading my Bible. I'm not feeling like going to church. I'm not feeling like spending time in prayer and practicing spiritual disciplines. You know, I, I'm just not feeling it. I can't help but wonder that in, in times like that, is it possible that the reason that we're not feeling it is because of a selfish attitude, a selfish mindset, a selfish outlook that, that we've allowed to creep in over time and, and it, it's, it's caused us to turn into takers rather than to be who or what God designed us to be? Is it possible that there is a better way of life. And that, that better way of life is the life that Jesus came to exemplify. And that if we choose to live out that life, that it will unlock the door to the fullness of God's presence in our lives. In the midst of a not feeling it season, I can't help but wonder, am I at fault and is there a better way that I could live? Is there a different way that I could go about this that would yield different results? And then that brings us to Psalm chapter 24. So maybe you've turned there, you've swiped there. We're, gonna get, uh, we're getting ready to read it in its entirety, all 10 verses. But before we do, let me give you a little bit of uh, kind of setup for Psalm 24. While it's unknown for certain, Many scholars believe that this psalm was written by David upon returning the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And 
This is a, a call and response psalm. There is a, a clearly defined worship leader in this psalm, and there's a clearly defined choir. You'll see it um, as we read it, that the worship leader makes a statement, and then the choir will respond. The worship leader makes another statement, and then the choir responds. And during the exile, when, um, when the Jews were, were um, they were, they were exiled away from, from Jerusalem. They were exiled away from Israel, their homeland. Um, they developed a tradition of reading this royal psalm every Sunday, celebrating the first day of creation. That will make sense as soon as we jump in. And if you're taking notes and, and you want to write this down, um, maybe you're interested in adding something like this to your own uh, weekly Bible reading cycle. So they would read Psalm 24 on Sunday, on Monday, they would read Psalm 48, Psalm 82 on Tuesday, Psalm 94 on Wednesday, 81 on Thursday, 93 on Friday, and 92 on Saturday. So that every day they started off with a psalm that represented something through their history or, or something that called them back to who God is, who God was, and what he was wanting to do in their life. And this particular psalm, Psalm 24, it's the third psalm in a three-part series in psalms known as the shepherd psalms or the shepherding psalms. This is 22, 23, and 24. In Psalm 22, the writer highlights the cross, and we learn about the good shepherd who gives up his life for his sheep. In Psalm 23, possibly the most well-known psalm that's ever written. Many of you probably know it. Maybe you've even got it memorized. We learn about uh, uh, the crook, um, the, the, which would have been the staff, the top of the staff that the shepherd would have used. And, and we, we read about the great shepherd who tenderly cares for his sheep. And then in Psalm 24, the psalm we're getting ready to read, we, we discover the crown which is the chief shepherd appearing as the king of glory to reward his sheep. In the way that Psalm 23 closes out there in verse six, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 24 picks up where Psalm 23 leaves off and then tells us how we can go about that, how we can attain that status, how we can live in the house of the Lord forever. So if you've turned there, Psalm 24, we're gonna read it together, verses one through 10. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, or perhaps your translation says only those with clean hands and pure hearts, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. Verse five, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He 
is the king of glory. Now, right there at the beginning of this psalm, in those first couple of verses, it's important for us to take note of of what God is establishing here. Um, When he's talking about the king of glory, he's talking about the the great shepherd that wears the crown and he's coming in to rule with all of his authority. He's coming in to, to bring his presence into the lives of his people. And the psalmist starts out by saying, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundations on the seas and built it on the ocean's depth. You look in uh, the original language all the way back in the Hebrew and that that term everything, it it means everything. And then the the term all, it it means all. It's not 99%. It means everything. It means all. It's 100%. It's everything that we see, everything that we experience, the earth, everything around us, and all of us that populate it, we belong to God. What the psalmist is communicating, an important truth for you and I to understand, is that it all belongs to God. And God, in his goodness, what he did is he shared his authority with us by giving us dominion over his creation. God created all this incredible stuff. He placed human beings in it. And he said, you guys be fruitful and multiply, take charge, enjoy, oversee everything that I've created here for you. He gave us dominion over his creation, but we messed it up. Because he said, out of everything that I've created, this is the one thing you need to stay away from. You can have everything else, literally everything else in the entire world belongs to you except for the fruit of this one tree. You need to stay away from that. And we said, oh, we don't want everything else. We want that one thing we're not supposed to have. We messed it up. And because of our mistake, we, we, we entered into sin, and that sin created a gap. That sin created a gap between us and the Father. And there we were in Eden, and Eden was, was a place where, when it was initially created, where, where heaven and earth, it overlapped. Some might say it overlapped like a sloppy wet kiss. Some might say that it overlapped like an unforeseen kiss, but whichever side of that fence that you are on, some of y'all will get that on the drive home, whichever side of the fence that you are on, it overlapped. And, and, and what happened is, is when sin came into the picture, it ripped apart that overlapping. And, and for our entire lives, for, for as long as humans have existed on the earth, we've tried to make up that gap by doing things our own way. And that's why we read in the Old Testament, I talked about this several weeks ago, but um, about Babel, where uh, the people, they came together and they said, we're, we're going to figure out a way to reconnect heaven and earth. And it's going to be by our means and on our strength and on our power. And so they, they began to build a tower to heaven because they thought we can, we can actually take something here on earth and we can build up until once again, heaven and earth will come back and they will, they will overlap lap together. They built this ziggurat temple. And it was there that God caused great confusion and he changed the languages of people and he scattered them all across the earth. And and the drive behind all of this, our our quest to, to get 
uh, heaven uh, back to earth and, and those things reconnected, the drive and the motivation behind all of this and everything that we've done ha- has been what's in it for me? What can I gain? How can I get ahead? It's that seagull from Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. It's the attitude of Lucifer. I deserve this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this. But yet a gap was created between heaven and earth. And that gap, what happened is, is it required the cross. The redemption of humanity hung there on the cross. It was Jesus' responsibility to come to this earth and to fill in the gap on the cross and to bridge the divide that sin had created between us and our heavenly father. And and this points us to verses three through six, which is going to be the thrust of, of the message today. Psalm 24, three through six. I'm gonna read them again. It says, who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols, who never tell lies, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. So this morning we're going to talk about two characteristics that are revealed by the cross, two characteristics that are revealed by the cross. And the first of these is the cross reveals our need, our desire for right conduct. That if we're gonna be in the presence of the Lord, that if we wanna live lives that, are, that we move from not feeling it to feeling it, that we recognize God's presence, that we gain access into his presence, it first starts with right conduct. This is clean or pure hands. And ultimately what this is, is it's, uh, it, as we drill down and we look at it, it's really this idea of generosity. It's an idea of generosity. We've talked about that because of our sinful nature, that, that, that we've been transformed, we've been turned into takers, and, and we've, we're, we're living lives and with, with attitudes and mindsets that are self-centered and, and outlooks that are, that are selfish that we were never intended to live with. And so it's this idea of, of generosity that those with, with clean or pure hands, they're people of generosity. And around, around here, uh, we like to say one of our core values is that generosity is our identity. Generosity is our identity. And, and we, that's founded on the principle that we don't give to get. We don't give because of what we may or what we're supposed to receive. We give because God, by his very nature, is a giver. That's why we give. We give because God is a giver and we want to be like him. John 3, 16, many of you know this. It says, for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God is a giver and we want to be like him. And there's a principle that comes with generosity. It's the, the principle of, of the open hand. I want, I want you to, to, to think about this. We, we can't, if we're gonna have clean hands, if we're gonna have pure hands, we, we can't have closed hands. Have you ever tried to clean dirt or mud out of a closed hand? It doesn't work because you're holding on to it. 
You can't clean a closed hand. The only way that we can have clean or pure hands is if our hands are, are open. I, I, I think about, uh, with this principle, I think about the farmer. Think about a farmer who, who goes, into, he goes into his field and, and, and he's wanting crops to grow and, and he's got his hands full of seed, right? But as long as he's holding on to that seed, that's all he's got. He can walk out into that field and he can say, field, grow. And nothing is going to happen. And he can go out and he can curse the field and he can curse the rain and he can shake his fist at the heavens. But as long as he's holding on to that seed, that is all he has. But watch this. When, when the farmer walks out into his field and he takes the, the seed that he has in his hand and he releases it into the ground, he lets it go, then something starts to happen. Then that seed goes down into the ground and, and the sunlight and the water and the process and everything, and it's able to produce even more than he had in the first place. But in order for that to ha happen, the original thing that he had, it had to be used up. It had to die so that more could be produced. He had to let go of the things that he was holding on to. He had to put, put it into the ground and allow it to die so that, that more could be produced. But, but what happens is that when the, when the farmer releases that seed and it goes into the ground and it dies, it brings forth trees that bear even more fruit, which contain even more seed. That it's, it's not just food for now, but it's seed for future generations. And what happens is, is when we shift our mindset and our outlook and our attitude and we, we get away from this closed hand mentality that, that I'm going to hold on to everything that's mine and, and I'm just going to grab onto this. What happens is, is when we choose to live as people that are open-handed and we release the blessings that God has given us, we release them to be used and, and we allow them to die, it produces even more, not just so that we can be blessed, but so that future generations can be blessed as a result of our actions. We become a part of a legacy. We get to participate in something that is so much bigger than us. In the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10, it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. It's the only place in scripture that the Lord tells us to put him to the test. He's saying, put me to the test with your seed, with the things that you're holding on to, with your tithe, the first tenth of all of your income. If, if you'll release that to me, if you'll bring it into the storehouse, then watch what I'll do. I'll pour out so much blessing in your life, you won't be able to contain it all. But as long as you hold on to that, that's all you're going to have. See, proper actions... They have to be fueled by the proper motivations. Otherwise, it just becomes deceit and manipulation. We don't, we don't give to get, even though there is a promise with that, that if we will give, God will bring blessing. But that's not why we give. When we start to give, we discover that giving is the blessing. 
It's not that we're, we're receiving the blessing after, that, that when, when we give, that's when the blessing comes. No, it's the act of giving that is the blessing. That God, you've given me this so that I can be a conduit of your blessings to the world around me. And when we give, when we sow that seed, we become part of something so much bigger. And this, this generosity idea, it's, it's hitched to another very important thing that I see not just in Psalm 24, but the more and more that I read the scriptures and dig into them, I, I see these things not just standing alone, but I see them often hitched together time and time again. And Psalm 24 is a prime example of that. It's not just generosity, but it's also connected to this idea of servanthood, because it's not just right conduct, it's also right character. It's also right character, that's number two. The second thing that the cross, the cross reveals our, our need for, that if, if we're going to be people that bridge the gap, if we're going to be people that once again can stand in the presence of God, it, it takes first right conduct, but second, it takes right character. This is our, our pure heart. Not just clean, open hands, but it's our pure heart, it's our, it's our motives, it's the desire behind it. Not that, that we're giving out of deceit and manipulation that if I give, then I'm going to get. It's no, we give because God has given us everything in his son, Jesus Christ. That's all that we need. If he didn't give us one more thing over top of that, that would be enough. And so we're going to live our lives in such a way that we're going to sow those seeds out of both right conduct and then secondarily right character. This is the pure heart, it's the motives. This is the servanthood piece. Around here, our core value, we like to say that servanthood is our posture. Servanthood is our posture. It's built on the principle that we don't serve to be served. We serve because Jesus came to earth and set the example of a servant. And he said, this is how you're supposed to behave. This is how you're supposed to live your life. Matthew 20, verse 28 confirms this. Jesus himself says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. When you look up that word serve in the dictionary, you see that it means to be of use. It means to help and then you keep on scrolling down. You know how there's, like the, there's several different definitions? And you scroll down all the way to the bottom and you get to the one that I really like and what I think is, communicating, uh, is being communicated here by, by the scriptures. Serve means to obey. It means to be obedient. That's what to serve someone means that you are obedient to them. You are obedient to their needs, their desires, their directives in and for your life. So when we talk about serving, when we talk about generosity, the way that these are hitched together, there, there are four primary areas in which we serve other people, in which we are generous. And these areas are our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony. This is where it connects in with generosity is when we take this servant 
this, this posture of servanthood in our time and our talent, our treasure and our testimony, it connects in with generosity because when we give of these things, it benefits those around us. When we give of our time, when we give of our talent, when we give of our treasure, when we give of our testimony, the end result is that it serves, it benefits, it meets the needs of those that are around us. I think of, when I think of um, someone being generous and serving with their time, I think of a lady uh, here at our church named Dawn. Many of you probably know her. You can clap for her, it's okay. Um, several months ago, uh, almost a year now, we went through some staff transition and there was a big gap that was left behind. And Dawn came to me one Sunday and she said, I, I feel like the Lord is calling me to do more. And she said, I've got time. And so you just tell me what needs to be done and I'll do it. She didn't place any kind of stipulations or parameters. She said anything. You tell me what needs to be done, and I'll do it. And so I started to tell her things that needed to be done, and guess what? She started doing them. She said, I've got time for that. Yeah, I've got time for that. I can come up here to the church in the middle of the week, or I can come up here early, or I can get here. I can be here. You you need this done? You, and, and she would get that done and she would come and say, what else? I've got more time. What, is there anything else that I can do? And everything that I told her, she would just do it because she said, yes, I've got time for that. And guess what? Now she's on our staff. Now she's on our staff. She didn't come to me and say, hey, if you'll give me a staff position, then I can do some things. She just said, no, I've got time. Will you let me use my time? to do the things that need to be done. We think about talent, I think of a couple that attend here um, named Brett and Amanda. Uh, it wasn't very long ago that um, both of them, they were just faithful church attenders. They just came, they showed up week in, week out. They were here, they were supportive, they were engaged. They were just here. This is just the church they went to. But then somewhere along the line, Amanda decided she was going to take some ownership. And so she said, hey, I can sing. I realize that we need some singers or that there's opportunity for, for singers, people to, to lead in worship on the worship team. And so she auditioned for our worship team. And, and uh, uh, a few weeks later, she was, she was right here on the stage and she was leading people in worship. She was singing. She was using the talent that God had given her to, to serve the church, to serve the people, to, to make a difference in, in the lives um, uh, of those ar around her. And then it wasn't too very much longer after she had served a handful of times that her husband Brett was like, well, I'm not going to be outdone by my wife <laughs> because I can play a mean electric guitar. And he can. And so he auditioned for the worship team, and then it wasn't too much longer that, and, and, and what many of you have witnessed now, you'll often see them serving together. And then they've gone on and even taken a step further and said, hey, we, we've got a home that we like to entertain and we like to be around people. And so we're going to launch a life group. And then that, 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 that small group has now turned into a small church 
all because they said, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna be generous. We're gonna be people that assume the posture of a servant and we're gonna use the things that God has given us to make a difference in the lives of those around us. When I think of treasure, I think of part of mine and Sarah's story, that there was a time when we were on staff uh, serving at churches um, that I wasn't, we weren't tithing the way that we were supposed to. We weren't tithing in keeping with, um, with the scriptures and the guidelines that are laid out. And we were, we were giving if there was money left over at the end of the month to give. And often there wasn't because we had our priorities out of whack. And we realized a few things that, that first off, the, the tithe is the floor, it's not the ceiling. That the 10%, is, that's, that's, the, that's the bottom. It's, it's not, we're, we're trying to reach the 10%. No, we, we start there and, and we, go up, we go up from there. And... Um, uh, a while back, Sarah and I decided that we were going to be but first givers. That, hey, the, the mortgage is due, but first we're going to tithe. The, the, the car payment is due, but first we're going to tithe. The, the dog needs braces, <laughs> but first. And... We, we, got, we got things in the right order. And, and, and so we, we, be, we began to tithe the first fruits. We began to, um, uh, a payday became generosity day. And now before my feet hit the floor, I know on the 15th and the 30th, the first thing I do in the morning is I get my phone and I text to give. And, and, and we decided um, when, when we launched Kingdom Builders here a few years ago that we weren't just going to give the 10% anymore, that we were going to be people of extravagant generosity. And so we started giving over and above the 10%. We started to, to stretch ourselves. We started to give money that, can I just be honest, we didn't really have it. We didn't have it to give. But we said, God, we want to be faithful to your word. And we want to we want to give this we want to give this money, and and so we started to sow seeds. We started to release out of the blessings that God has given us. And and during that time, many of you have you've you've heard these stories before. And I'm not I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. This is not about me. This is all about God and the things that He's done in my life. Just because I've been willing, because we've been willing to be obedient to Him. Our church is in better financial uh, uh, um, status than it's been uh, the entire time that I've been the pastor here for, and and even back in in history as as long as I can remember. And we're moving forward, and, and, and God is he, he's using, he's using that, that, that at, uh, even the things that we started doing personally, that we started doing some of those things at, as a church. And over the next few weeks, you're going to hear some more about that as we get into Vision Sunday, and we talk about that. And, and God's just honored that, and, and um, our churches, during that time, our churches become debt-free. And during that time, we became debt-free outside of our mortgage as well. And we're, we're, we are well on our way to becoming debt-free um, as a part of our mortgage. And we've even bought a car and we paid cash for it during that time. The Lord helped us and, and just worked it out. Like, if we'll do things God's way, his math doesn't make sense. He's just going to make it happen. I, I'm not a smart man. I'm not. 
But I just looked at the principles of God's word and said, God, this is how I'm going to choose to live. And at every turn, he made up the difference. We never missed a meal. We have all of our bills paid for. We have all of our needs taken care of and a lot of our wants taken care of, all because we just chose, God, we're going to live your way. We're going to live your way. When I think of testimony, I think of a guy named Chris. You saw him up here this morning, standing right here. He had a guitar. Very handsome fellow. <laughs> He's our worship and creative director. Several weeks ago, you, many of you were able to hear his, part of his testimony, but I remember as, as we, were, we were talking through some of that, and, and as I was just spending time getting to know him in the early days of him being on staff here, one of the things that he talked to me about was he said, you know, there was, a, there was a day and a time in my life where I used to actively and intentionally run away from God. But now God is using me to actively and intentionally lead people into his presence. All because he said, God, take what I got. Take the things that you've given me and use it for your glory. We'll be generous and we'll serve people in the areas of our time, talent, treasure, and testimony. God will make up the difference. He'll move in a way that we never thought possible. Closing with this, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, he says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, but instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. And therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus emptied himself. There was nothing left. He tipped up the bucket of everything that he was and, and he, he let it pour out. He gave up his divine privileges. Jesus came to this earth and he said, it's not going to be about me. It's going to be about others. And I'm going to give up my life as a ransom for everyone else who's gonna spit and mock and jeer and curse and turn their back on me. That's what he came to do. John 13 verses 12 through 15 says that after Jesus washed their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? This was to his disciples in the upper room right before he went to the cross. He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. He gave everything, even unto death. He held nothing back. And he said, this is how you should operate. This is how you should live. This is how you should behave. And maybe you're thinking this morning, Pastor Blake, but I'm not Jesus. And if you're thinking that, you're right. You're not Jesus. 
Maybe you're thinking, because I'm not Jesus, I can't possibly make that kind of impact. And that's probably true. But here's what I do know. We've been called to follow after him every single day. And even though you may not be able to make the kind of impact that he did, everyone can impact someone. Everyone can make a difference in the life of someone. Our responsibility is just obedience. His responsibility, God's responsibility is the outcome. Our responsibility is just to be obedient. And whether it impacts one or whether it impacts one billion, the outcome is up to him. I love this quote from Andy Stanley. He says, we are never responsible for filling everyone else's cup. Our responsibility is just to empty ours. This requires giving. It requires serving. It requires what the psalmist writes in the last few verses of Psalm 24. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? He's the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? He is the Lord of heaven's armies. He is the king of glory. He's saying, open up. Would you open up your hands today? Would you open up your hearts? Would you, would you open up your desire to have right conduct? Open up your desire to have right character? Open up ancient gates and let the king of glory in. You know what I've discovered about ancient gates? They have rusty hinges. Sometimes it's hard to open up. Sometimes it's hard to get that thing going, but here's what else I've discovered. Generosity and servanthood, they are like spiritual WD-40. You may be having a tough time being open, finding yourself in the presence of the Lord, but I can guarantee you, you start being generous, you start living a life where servanthood is your posture, you're gonna find that things are gonna start to open up. Things are going to start moving forward. Open hands and open hearts. Watch this. When we're open, not only does it position us to give, but it also positions us to receive. I'm gonna give this to you. It's the same position that I receive something from someone else. When we open ourselves up, we position ourselves to usher in the presence of the King of glory, the Lord Almighty, the one who is in charge of the authorities and the heavenly armies. When we give, when we're open with our hands and our hearts, it opens us up to be in his presence. So the big idea of today's message is simply this, God's people give and saved people serve. God's people give and saved people serve. You turn to somebody and tell them you've been blessed to be a blessing. Tell them they need to hear that this morning. Turn to them and say, you've been blessed to be a blessing. Turn to someone else and say, you've been saved to be a servant. You've been saved 
to be a servant. God's people give, saved people serve. We've been blessed to be a blessing to the world around us. We've been saved to be a servant to the people that are in our circles. And the greatest thing that our church could ever become is a church that carries the mantle of generosity and servanthood in everything that we do. Not only would that honor the leadership of this church, but it would honor God even more, and it will honor the people of our city. And there's a reward that comes with it. And the reward is access to God's presence. Here in our services, in our life groups, in our kids, in our youth ministry, in our homes, in our families, in our marriages, in our finances, in our workplace, in our community. Imagine what we could unlock if we just chose to be people of generosity and servanthood. So we welcome in the presence of God to our open lives through open hands and open hearts. Because here's what I know. There is nothing more attractive to a lost person than the presence of God because it's what they're searching for. It's the thing that they can't find on their own. It's, it's something that they aren't experiencing otherwise. But if this is gonna happen as a church, it first has to happen in you and me as individuals. But imagine for a moment, what if we all chose to live this way? Imagine the impact that we could make in this community and beyond if we just said, God, I'm open. Open hands, open heart, open life. To anything and everything that you wanna do in and through me. Because the truth is, nobody gets to the end of their life and says, you know what? I wish I would have taken more. You know what? I wish I would have kept more for myself. You know what? I wish that I would have put my needs in front of other people's needs this whole time. Nobody gets to the end of their life and thinks that. They think the opposite. So let's not wait to the end. Let's start now. Let's start now. Let's choose to be open. So my question for everyone today is, are you open to, to the king of glory? Are, are you willing to do the things that it takes to stand in his presence? Maybe that starts with, with open hands. Maybe it's generosity. Maybe it's letting go of your greed for stuff. Maybe it's starting to, to give financially. Maybe it's to serve someone else that, that, that you, can, you, you realize that you've been blessed and that you wanna be a blessing to other people. So maybe it's with open hands. Maybe it's with an open heart, this idea of servanthood. Maybe it's, maybe it's emptying yourself and putting someone else's needs in front of your own. Or maybe for the first time here today, it's just to open your life to Jesus. Maybe for the first time, and to step into a covenant relationship with him. If that's you today here in this room watching online and you'd like to do that, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. Can we bow our heads? Can we pray together? That's you and you're saying, Jesus, my life is open to you. I wanna enter into a relationship with you today. I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus in his way the rest of my life.
Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.